Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome, everyone, to this week's edition of Conversations with Z and Vin. And today we're fortunate enough to be joined by Rob Hoffman. Hey, Rob, you're a longtime student of Z. You've done some really interesting things in your life. You've been in the music business as a songwriter, a producer. You at some point made a change in direction. I think you and Z spent some time traveling together, going to Sri Lanka, doing some disaster relief work after the tsunami. And since then, you've gotten very deeply involved in Chinese medicine, in Tai Chi, in yoga. So before we start, maybe you could just introduce yourself to our audience, talk a little bit about your background. Sure. Um, As you mentioned, I had been working in the music industry for a little over a decade and, uh, you know, was was having great success and and had a really good career. but could kind of see the writing on the wall after close to 15 years of working, like where the industry was going and the shrinking of the industry and wasn't completely fulfilled. But like most American kids had been fed a diet of Chuck Norris and Bruce Lee films. So I was studying martial arts and uh, really stumbled upon Master Z after eating at this vegan restaurant below the old studio. And, uh, you know, dove into Tai Chi and kind of got introduced to Tai Chi, Qigong and like the principles of Chinese medicine. and then it was really uh, after the tsunami when we went to Sri Lanka and I was doing relief work with Master Z and his family there and uh, decided that I really need to make a change. And coming back from Sri Lanka after, after that first trip um, and landing back in Los Angeles, I was like, oh man, life can never go back to you know the way it was. It was kind of like the red pill, blue pill moment. Um, so I spent the next like five or six years trying to unravel you know, a Hollywood life and eventually went back to Chinese medicine school. I got my doctorate in Chinese medicine and I'm actually currently a PhD student um, at a university in China. I'm getting my PhD in pharmacology there and I study uh, how Chinese herbs uh, affect the immune system during cancer. Um, So that's kind of like this complete transition out of the music world, you know, and into this world of medicine. And I would say right right now my my feet are, are firmly planted uh, not just in raising a family, but also in the world of Taoism, martial arts, and Chinese medicine. And, and though most people would think that those are three of the same thing, they're actually like a Venn diagram of you know just mildly overlapping categories. And then my whole world is, is actually very scientifically based in studying pharmacology, and that kind of overlaps that entire Venn diagram. So I'm always looking for Um, I'm perfectly willing to see angels and have God come down and talk to me and all those amazing things, but I also want to understand the science of it. Like, how does this thing really work? And for me, that comes down to foundations and principles, and that's why I love how Master Z teaches Tai Chi and how he teaches Tai Chi and yoga and Qigong, because it's always about the principle of it. How does this thing work? Um, Because if the practice is rooted in that, you can't really go wrong. So when I teach now, when I teach Tai Chi or I teach Chinese medicine, I'm always trying to teach the, the students like, well, how does this work? Because our, our BS detector should be primed at that point. If you teach the student, right, how every single movement works from a foundational principle, and even in Tai Chi, what is the martial application of this, right? They can go out on the street and study with any Tai Chi teacher in the world, and they will immediately know, is this guy the real deal? Or is he pulling the wool over my eyes? because it's rooted in foundation and principles. And kind of on the topic of where we, what we think we're gonna talk about today, you know, I see that kind of falling apart. Um, I think Master Z has been doing this a lot longer than I have, and he would probably say it's been falling apart for a long time. But in this chaos that we're experiencing with COVID, with the pandemic, with political and societal change and unrest, I see a lot of people in our spiritual world, right, who've really lost their foundation. There's no attachment to principles and they're kind of spinning out of control. So that's what, that's what I've been talking to Master Z about and that's, that's what I wanted to talk about on this podcast today is how do, how do we get back to that? Why is it happening? You know, is there anything we can tell people to help them stay centered in all of this? 
All right. Well, let's dive right into that. And Rob, just in the half hour or so that we've been talking, it's been very interesting getting your perspective because you come at things from first principles. You sound like some combination of a scientist and a philosopher. You really want to understand how the world works. And as we were talking earlier, people are having a big challenge with discernment. And what we mean by discernment is being able to identify what's true and what's false. So, of course, in this age of social media, we can live in a bubble. We can follow endless algorithms on YouTube and go down a rabbit hole. There are conspiracy theories left, right, and center. It's very hard to judge what's true and what's not true. I mean, even are we getting our news from a person? Are we talking to a robot? We really have no idea when so much of our interaction and information comes from the virtual world. So I thought something that you pointed out was really interesting. And you were saying that the ability to discern what is true is closely tied to the depth of your practice. And I think what you meant by that is if you go into Tai Chi or yoga and you're a serious practitioner and you do what you're talking about, Rob, which is you really get down to the foundations of the moment, uh, sorry, the foundations of the movement, the science behind it, the applications, the history, the theory. You start reading some of the treatises uh, like uh, the Bhagavad Gita, you mentioned the Mahabharata. Uh, you understand the foundations of yoga, for example. From your observations, that actually translates into a much stronger ability to discern truth from falsehood. And it allows people to navigate this crazy world and keeps them away from all of these conspiracy theories and the perpetual fear that's spun out of the media, because the media loves to sensationalize and blow things out of proportion and captivate our attention. And what that means is that we become susceptible uh, to people just telling us that the world is about to end or uh, COVID is going to destroy our lives or Trump is going to take down the entire economy. And some of that might be true. Some of it might not be. We need the skill and the ability to navigate this ocean of information and come out with some pearls of wisdom. So talk us through that. I want to dive a bit into what your observation is. Just when you've been working with students, what is it that separates people who have this ability to discern truth from those who end up getting caught in conspiracy theories and don't really know what direction is up or down? I think so much you mentioned already, like diving in, understanding the depth of the practices that we're involved in and diving into that, the literature and culture that are a part of that, right? One of my Chinese medicine teachers says, uh, the, all of, most of the great Chinese medicine classics were actually written in the Han Dynasty, so 2,000 years ago. And what my teacher always says, if you're really going to understand Chinese medicine, you've got to at least try to observe the medicine through the lens of the Han Dynasty practitioners, right? If you come at that purely from a scientific viewpoint, you're going to miss right, the subtleties, you're gonna miss the detail in the language, you're gonna miss the details of the culture that birthed that medicine. And it's the same thing with yoga. If you walk into you know, a, a very modern yoga studio that has no attachment, no idea about the classics um, of Hindu literature and Indian culture and society, right, you may, have, you may be in great shape, you may have a really good you know, asana practice, but have you really worked on the mind at that point? And when we look at, at Tai Chi and then we dive deeper back into Taoism, you know, most Americans are familiar with the Tao Te Ching, um, you know, and they think like that's the, the text of Taoism, but they really miss the fact that there are actually over 1400 books that make up the Taoist canon. So the Tao Te Ching and its commentaries are just one volume of that. It's like reading Genesis, right? And skipping the other 60 to 80 uh, books of the Bible, depending on you know your sect of, of Christianity. Um, so really, you know, as Americans, that's what we like to do. We like to collect practices. Like, oh, I'm a I'm certified in Tai Chi. I'm certified in Qigong. I'm certified in this Hatha Yoga and that Kundalini Yoga. But I don't really have the depth underneath, right? And that that doesn't anchor us, right? In the Tao Te Ching, it says, you know. Um, well, there's a lot of pieces that come together for that, but you know, you don't really, it, it's clever to, to understand others, but it's true discernment to understand the self, right? You like, 
sure, I can, I can look, I can look at the mirror of everybody else, but really to understand discernment and get to the truth, I have to be able to look at myself and dig deep down inside. And in Kabbalah, they say, the, they say the same thing. You can never truly look at and see someone else because you're simply looking at yourself, right? So that all of that is the illusion, right? And we have to dig into ourselves to truly understand the world around us. But again, that requires study. That requires self-reflection and it requires a practice um, that has a lot of depth. It requires teachers that have a lot of depth. And, and one of the things I'm seeing right now is actually teachers kind of spinning out of control because um, they're, they're so, um, what's the word? They're, they're so uh, attached to the spectacle that's around them. You know, and one of the things that Master Z is never attached to is the spectacle. <laughs> uh, he, he declines the spectacle. He, he, he pushes all of that away because he understands that the foundation of practice, right, is, is scholarship. You know, on these shelves in this yoga studio is, is always a Mahabharata and Bhagavad Gita. There's always a copy of the Tao Te Ching around. Um, he's always admonishing us while we're practicing, you know, with... To, to go back into those books, to study those books, to study the literature, um, and to actually embody them when we're practicing. And the Tao Te Ching for Tai Chi practitioners, the Tao Te Ching is the perfect text for that. And it's quoted again in, in many other pieces of Taoist literature, in the Qing Jing Jing, the, the scripture of clarity and stillness, quotes to, it pulls directly from the Tao Te Ching. Um, so there, there is this great literal scholarship tradition in all of these practices. Um, but it takes a good teacher and it takes dedication to dive back in and try to find those um, and again to embody them as part of our practice and once you do that 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 in chinese medicine we talk about the separation of clear and turbid um, you know all of our organ systems right are designed to separate the the clear and kind of dirty fluids and food and, and thoughts that we intake and if we're not able to clear those thoughts the mind becomes turbid and once the mind is turbid, then the spirit is turbid, right? And then everything spins out of control. That's you know, what's often called the monkey mind. And once that monkey mind starts running, right, then there's no way to discern truth because everything at that point, you're just dealing with confirmation bias because the monkey mind is hungry. The monkey mind's like, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. And then you start doom scrolling on Facebook. You start eliminating all the friends who don't agree with your viewpoint. Right? And now you've got this monoculture that you're reading and doom scrolling through day in and day out. And you're not even willing to try to find out what the other side is thinking or what the truth might be. And you said uh, right, right at the top of, of, your, of what you were talking about, you mentioned like how do we tell the truth. And there's a really great article floating around on social media about how when you read any news article on the internet, by the time you're done reading, you should have 20 other windows open. So when I read an article, say it's about, let's say the pandemic, and they say, Dr. So-and-so from Harvard University said this. Before I've even finished that sentence, I've got a tab looking up the faculty of Harvard. I've got a tab open to that person's personal bio, and I've got another tab open to all his, public, his or her publications. And then if there's any conflicts of interest, I've got another tab open to find out who those conflicts of interest are. And then I see if they've donated to any politicians. So before I've read the first sentence, I have seven pages open. So now I, by the time I have the first paragraph, I've got 20 pages open. And that's literally the way I approach every article. And it doesn't mean if it's about politics or medicine or Chinese medicine, music, um, Tai Chi, martial arts. We are, we're actually at a renaissance right now. There is like 30 years ago when Master C started practicing in Los Angeles, you couldn't look this stuff up. If somebody came to you and said, hey, I just came from China and I learned this secret Tai Chi form and you should follow me, people would go, that's amazing. He can write a Chinese character and he can do Tai Chi. Mm -hmm. But now, if somebody says anything like that, you can look it up literally in five seconds. You can find out, oh, that person you know, has been here or studied with that person. Um, there's a renaissance of, of translation happening now. All these people who are my age and a little bit younger who studied Chinese, they're sinologists. Um, in part of their PhDs, they've had to study Sanskrit and mm -hmm. Japanese and Hindi. Suddenly they're translating and retranslating all these great works. And they're literally every week, 
there are five to ten new books about of scholarship based on yoga, qigong, tai chi, martial arts, Chinese medicine, and all of that is is literally flooding the internet. And they're peer reviewed. They're edited properly. They they contain the actual original language that they came from, plus the translation. So it's like all of that BS that we've been fed for 20 plus years is really being erased. And the teachers who have had a foundation, who have had a principled practice and teaching method, they're actually beginning to shine because we start to see the truth again. We start to see where did this stuff come from? Um, and those who don't, right, they're kind of exposed. I just saw a fairly famous teacher who'd been saying he studied with one of Master Z's teachers in Chicago during a certain time, and somebody pulled up on the internet the attendance sheet for that month <laughs> and said, I don't see you on there. Never were there. Never were there. So, like, it's, it's that kind of crazy right now because there's so much mistruth that people have had to find and dig into, like, the depths of scholarship to kind of erase those mistruths. Wow. You know, it's, it's that deep right now. And you know what I want to tie into? It's real exciting having Rob here, and I'm listening to him, and it sounds like I'm talking to myself. And that's real cool. And, and I don't say that to claim ownership of anybody. It, just, it does feel good in a kind of a grandfatherly way that the people I worked with were benefited from something, but they already had their own thing when they came in, and they've taken whatever I've shared with them and run with it. And... I, I'm excited listening to him, and, and I want to bring it to everyday issues. Um, this idea that we don't want to go deep into anything. You know, as the Tao says, if you want to find the Tao, go to the lowest places where people disdain. I was speaking to someone who is, is really a great person, and they were talking to me about their views of the world. They said they go to trusted sources. That's what they say. But trusted sources are often people that simply parrot or echo what they want to hear anyway. Rob said something that, that, that I hear all the time, I'm going to not talk to certain people on Facebook or whatever. Well, for one thing, you're not talking to people anyway. You may be talking to a bot or a robot. And if they don't like what, you don't like what they're saying, you just simply shut them off. That doesn't mean it's not being said. That doesn't mean that there's not something to it to get a better understanding. As we're going through a time of social and political turmoil, I could have told you this 50 years ago, that when you listen to certain ideas and viewpoints and it shapes your world without a visceral loop, you're going to buy into stuff. You're going to head down a certain path. Um, right now, today in the news, there's an article about how the police are policing the police. I got a call from a nephew that has to go to Washington. He's a policeman. Uh, he's a detective, and he has to work undercover to protect other people from people in the police department in D.C., my nephew called. He said, you always talked about that. Yeah, the infiltration of madness is everywhere because, again, this idea of discernment. Where does this information come from? Why are you telling me this information? What are you selling me? What am I buying from you? Why, why are you saying this to me? What is the, and, then, and when you talk about the other part of it is, uh, Rob mentioned something from the Kabbalah, how when you look at something, you're really looking at yourself. What I take that from is in, in Buddhism, when they talk about the opaqueness on a mirror, what you see dirty in another place, person is the dirtiness in you. you see, you're seeing yourself and then you're putting that on the other person, oftentimes. Unless you can clear that opaqueness up on that mirror so it gives you a clear and dispassionate view of something, all your views of things are shaped, influenced, altered, and distorted by things you've brought into the, 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 the observation field, right? So a big part of discernment and the work that we can do with ourselves with a life practice is to know yourself. We talk about this all the time. Clean yourself up first. And so then you can see why the rise of a cartoonish leader would even come about. People like that. People in the back of their mind, in the dirtiness of their own life, they like a narcissist. They like the bombastic nature. They like the winner at all costs. I want to win at all costs. 
we measure success by singular markers. How much money do they have? We don't measure success by how many friends, how much good service they've done. Those things are very quiet. They're in the dark. We don't hear about those. Those are, are things that are deep in the earth. Uh, when Rob and I went to uh, Sri Lanka to do relief work, Rob joined me on my second or third trip there or whatever. And as I've shared with you before, um, I had gone through some horrible thing in my life. I had lost my brother, I would broken my neck, and I had to go for my own salvation. I didn't go for the people there per se. I just knew that I needed to be relevant and have a reason to be here. And I saw suffering and I went. When I came back to go again, Rob joined me. And we saw true human suffering. But we met some of the kindest people on earth that had nothing. That literally $20 could make their year. Or just helping them build a house or comfort them from the loss of a family. So it was really hard coming back to a world that was disconnected from that raw humanity. But it still exists everywhere. There is the richness, I, I, excuse me, it's this richness of humanity still exists, but it's not something that in the, the, our inability to discern that we value. We don't value it. We don't value the things that make us human. And when you have a practice, your Taoism, your yoga practice, your Qigong, whatever your meditative or contemplative practice is, it always asks you to go where? Out? No, it asks you to go in. Go deeper into yourself. Be still with yourself. Work on yourself. And in that living example, you teach. I never got up one day and said, hey, I'm going to be Master Z. Rob didn't get up one day and say, hey, I'm going to be Master Rob. I'm going to be the great teacher. He just worked on himself. And in doing that, people saw something. They were drawn to that and says, can you give me clarity or understanding on this? And you said, maybe I can, maybe I can't, but here's what I did. And then the next thing you know, that person is doing well in their life by the living example, not by the big beaconing sign, not by a, a, a well-established uh, you know, well uh, media campaign. It's because there was something there, like the, we can't see gravity, but it holds us here. And it's coming from the core of our earth. It's pulling us back to the yin. It's always pulling back. So we nurture the yin. I nurtured my depression, my sorrow, my suffering. I nurtured that, and from that came something. But we're often told, don't go there. Let's avoid the deep, dark places. Let's not go there. Let's not do or be there where it's difficult. They say, isn't it said, Rob, that the master takes bitters every day because every day is hard. Yep. Bitters, and, and Rob can talk a little more, bitters in Chinese medicine are consolidating. They're quieting. They pull things in, but not too much. You see what I'm saying? And those are your prophylactics, are your bitters. Life's prophylactics to keep you well, to keep you sane, are the bitter things that people avoid and disdain. We are ravaged physically right now. We're medically compromised because most people are borderline diabetic. They're diabetic, they have high cortisol levels, they're cortisol in. Everything is sweet, sweet, good, good, sweet, sweet, easy, easy. So that means you're not gonna go deep. I've talked to people before and they, they don't want complex understandings of things. Give me a short paragraph on something and I can run with it. Now you have what we have in society right now. You have something that was foreseeable, but even as it was foreseeable, it's shocking to see. A level of social disconnect. I mean, this country has been brought to the brink of collapse due to ignorance. And as I said before, and we've talked before about this, the word ignorance, to ignore light, to ignore, to willfully ignore light. So we have different metrics we establish for things that we're comfortable with and discomfort. Sometimes we just don't want to hear things. Yeah. I just don't want to hear it. I only want to hear what makes me feel good. That causes the decline. And the more you pursue that, the less you want to hear. The less you want to hear. The less you want to improve. Some people don't want any criticism. I know from doing martial arts all my life that the only thing that benefits you is the criticism. 
Don't tell me how good I do something. Tell me how it's not good. How can I improve? That's how you gain knowledge. But there's a whole culture now of, what do you call it, where everybody gets a trophy? What, what is that thing there called? Is, there is a name. Uh, like reward. You're, you're that generation. Or something. <laughs> just, just for, just for, just for your name up. being, you don't even have to show up. You just have to <laughs> just have, have your name roster. on the list and you get a gold medal. Yeah. And we've, for some reason, we've lost discernment and, and, and nobody says, you know, that, that, that's kind of messed up. Yep. How can everybody get a gold medal? So, so effort, the bitters don't matter anymore. And so our ability to discern, to look at something as it is, not as we want it, we've lost that ability. And we want, we want to, though, I, I think when those, those of us who are in practice, I want to face things. My father-in-law had a stroke over the holiday. And we've been going back and forth, and this is the worst time in the world to be in the hospital. Because of the Kofifi, because everything else, they're kicking people out of the hospital. They're not even calling ambulances. And, 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 and God bless poor Caitlin, like she's over here, she's got cancer and I got to work on it. So it's like, it's that bad. It's just that bad right now. So he, the poor guy goes to the hospital with a stroke. They're um, rushing him out of the hospital, sticking a tube in, going back in for different things. So I had a talk with him yesterday. I said, look, Daddy G, we can't, we can't go back to the hospital. You're either going to do it or literally die. So I need you to get your ass up and walk. I need you to start eating food so we can pull that G2 out of your gut. Your cortisol levels are high, so it's converting all your lean muscle to glycogen. And so your sugar goes way up to 300 every time they stick the G tube in you because you're stressed out and it's converting that food into fat and stored calories and it's eating your muscles. So we gotta stop. You wanna make it to June, which is your 50th wedding anniversary. If you wanna do that, we gotta get up and walk. That, see, this is a talk piece. And then the, the nurse there and the hired doctor and all these people were there and they were just shaking and trembling. And then as they're leaving, they said, I wish I could speak to people like that. <laughs> but I'm getting paid to make you feel good because I'm just here. So we can't discern anymore. And it isn't valued. I, I, I hope I'm saying it the right way. We've lost the value of the bitters. Of work. Of work. You yeah. follow? Yeah, and I think most people, like when you talk to, say, people who have a Buddhist practice, you know, they talk about like, um, I'm just told to let go of my emotions. Or in Taoism, we have this thing called Zuolong meditation, where you sit in silence or sitting in oblivion. And a lot of people just mean that you sit and sit quietly. And it's like, no, or, or wei wu wei, right? To, to, to do, to, to action without action, right? And they think that just means do nothing. And it's actually no, none of, in those three examples, none of that is true. To Zuolong, sitting meditation in Taoism means to sit and obliterate. So it's not just to sit and have the emotion and let it go away. It's actually to sit, when that emotion comes, you hold it, you find where it is in the body, and you obliterate it. You, you, dissolve, you dissolve it into nothing, right? And it's the same thing in Buddhist practice. You don't have the emotion come in and just watch it float away. No, there's a burning that has to happen. And when you do yoga asana, right? If you're, if you're holding your asana for three minutes, you haven't even started the process, sure. right? It's when you get into that 30 and 40 minutes of holding a posture that things start to burn. Right? And way, 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 action without action. Again, a lot of Taoists, you know, especially kind of the post-Alan Watts, you know, hippie generation, they're like, yeah, man, I just let things be. No, it takes thousands of hours of practice to get to the point where that action is actually spontaneous and it requires no extra effort to get to non-action. So all of these things, again, it, it comes down to appropriation. Right? How much if we actually studied these concepts, these meditations, these texts that talk about these things, do we just have this very superficial, and unfortunately most of us do, we have this very superficial of understanding. It's so easy just to say, yeah, man, I let things go. But have you worked on it? Or are you just ready to snap the first time that thing really confronts you? Because that's the way most people are. Yeah, and, and, and when they talk about the divine romance, you know, the, the romance relationships are hard. Real relationships are rough. You go through ups and downs. That's when it's real love. So when they talk about the divine romance, they're not talking about uh, 
jelly beans and, 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 and tofu briskets, right? They're really talking about the work. So way we wait, as it was explained, when the doer becomes a deed, real simple to explain by a teacher. And again, it was hardcore back then. Not a lot of people did. We didn't have the, 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 this kind of lightweight, I don't know how to say it without a trigger warning, but it's, <laughs> it's kind of, it, whatever. And so the, it was real simple. We're going to do this 1,000 times so you remember it. We're going to do it another 100,000 times so you never forget it. And when you get to the millionth time you've done it, you forgot who you were before you started doing it. That's when you've achieved non-doing, okay? That's when it's just you. Until you go through that drill, right? As they say in yoga, the japa, the japa, the drill. The drill is your drill life. Now we do this unconsciously anyway. What about if you're just escaping the work? You just, you just want the fame, the glory, the notoriety. We're doing it, you're really good at that. And it becomes very hard to learn. It becomes very hard to correct, very hard to accept constructive criticism. It becomes almost impossible to evolve. Yeah. Because you're spending more time preserving maybe your image than the substance of your image. So this is what I, I feel like part of what Rob is hitting on, you can correct me, is that there are instructions laid out, just like what the Vedas mean, basically structure, the instructions on being human, the collected notes on being a damn human being. And here's what you're going to go through. We are not that interesting all the time, right? That's what we say, Ben. Eight billion people, ten different stories. You're not that friggin' interesting. Here are the instructions on the human being. Here's the work we can do. And I was inspired earlier, Vin, when, when Rob was talking, uh, and he was frustrated. He says, just a lot of these, these celebrity, I don't know how you become a celebrity yoga teacher. Any, it, this is the weirdest thing anywhere. Celebrity, any damn thing like that. Celebrity, period, is completely counter to a deeper practice anyway. I never went to my masters to be entertained. I went to them for salvation of my own selfish self. I wanted to do better in life and they were examples and role models of people that I would like to be like. I can go back to my academic professors even in childhood who I was attracted to. I was never attracted to them because a lots of people went there or they had a lot of lights on, on, on Bookface or something. I, I was never, I would see people who had overcome unbelievable things and were still dignified and kind. I would see people who had their back straight when the world tried to crush them. And I said, you know, I like what that person's doing. I don't want to be just like them, but I want to know what they have and be as close to that. I remember my track coach telling me one time he would lay out the workout programs of world-class athletes. And he was saying, this is what they did to achieve what they achieved. If you walk in the footprint of a giant, even if you're not, you will be a giant. Just walk in the footprint of a giant. And, and, and do we understand what that means? Just walk the path and you will be that thing. But if you can't get there without going there. So oftentimes now we have the situation where people want to be there without going there. I don't know how many times, Rob, we talked about you go to some type of person that says they, they're into yoga or whatever, and, and they, 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 they don't know the most basic thing about it. Or you go to a therapist who is screwed up on antidepressants and a bunch of other stuff. And now, again, I'm not knocking you guys who are taking drugs. I'm just saying the drug should be a bridge to somewhere and not a bridge to nowhere. Eventually you want to take your meds and say, it's getting me to this point, then I'm going to let it go. I'm going to, I'm going to use this as a crutch or a cane for a period of time, then I'm going to let it go. Because it, it carried me somewhere, now I can do it on my own. But for those who there is no end to these collateral appendages 
then the, the, your, your, your practice is flawed. And you just said something like so important and so huge that when you create this image of the teacher, when you create it, right, when you, the work maybe hasn't been um, you know, what you think your own work has been, when, when you've created the image, it's hard to go back, and I would say almost impossible for most people to go back and fill in the gaps. Um, someone just started at our university in this new semester. Uh, this person has been a fairly famous Qigong practitioner, studied with Montak Chi and all these famous people for two decades. And she just started day one in the Chinese medicine school. And she knows the foundation. She's, she's been doing it for 20 years. But I'm so impressed that someone who's on TV and has videos and YouTube and all of that just said, you know what? I'm missing something. And I'm going to go back to Chinese medicine school and start day one. I'm not going to try to sign, you know, to, to skip any classes. No. They took more classes than they needed to because it was like, ah, they're i got to fill in these holes. And when you create celebrity, right, you, you won't go back. You, because the you, ego won't allow it. Yeah, how do you walk into a room? I, I, not that I'm special at all, but I will walk into any class, any room. I'll walk into a, a class in a park in China, right, and, and, and just start from a fresh slate. What can you show me? And sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it's, it's total crap, and you have to walk sure. at the end of the day, and you say, all right, that was a wasted hour. But... Every once in a while, you get that gem, and you're like, ah, I didn't know that. Now, how is that going to transform my practice? And a good teacher is, is always going back and studying. And there's, there's so many places, there's so many stories in our popular culture, again, in this health and wellness world, where we have a very famous teacher who has one little glitch in their world, and they literally go, go off the deep end. You know, very famous yoga teachers becoming owners of porn companies. <laughs> Um, committing suicide, committing, our, own, our own folks. Our, our own people, you know, and, and Z and I have a very special friend who committed suicide and who had an incredible, incredibly deep yoga practice. And she very much found a calling in, in, in becoming a celebrity. She thought that was her, her place to go. And Z very specifically told her, like, I don't. I think you should be careful with this. I don't think you want to do this. And, and I had conversations with her and said, this is not your practice. This is a whole other thing. And, you know, very unfortunately, a few years later, she committed suicide because she had kind of fallen off and she couldn't handle, from our, from our conversations, she couldn't handle the depression and potential ridicule and falling off the celebrity um, pedestal that she'd been put on. And you know that's that's the that's the most tragic of things that can happen Rob you know you it, it's pretty rough you know talking about I'm a, I'm a bad motherfucker but sometimes that's hard to talk about because as a, as, as a teacher maybe a little bit older than you guys there's a part of me that's kind of paternalistic maternalistic a combination of those and I, and I deeply care about my kids and I'm not saying that in a condescending way just I love that you have Become this professor and anything I can do to back that up and I just sit in the dark and just go wow I played a role or some part in supporting that when this young lady uh, you and her have a different relationship when she came to me one time and I, I, I did you were around I gave her the warning I said this isn't you're cute and people are going to be drawn to you because you're cute and you're cute with a little bit of knowledge and they're going to glom onto you more, but it's going to be a more vampiric relationship. They're going to suck the life out of you. They're going to want you to perform in exchange for adulation and cheers. And the last time we spoke, she was teaching one of our Naga classes to her sex group or whatever it was. And when you talk about the feel of energy, you could feel the life being drawn out of her and the emptiness there, even though the people were fawning over her. And she had our yoga book open. She had relabeled it hers. And she came to me and apologized. And she stopped her class. I want to introduce you to my teacher. That was over at um, Brazil. She said, I, I want to introduce you to my teacher. I said, you don't have to do that. She said, I need to do that. I, I, I don't know what she was going to do. And then I got a call from someone who said she would like to speak to me. I said, why is she having you call me? There was some kind of shame or whatever, and I'm not that dude. Whatever you did, 
you know, I'm not going to really call the police on you. I'm just not, I'm the last dude that's going to call the cops on you, okay? So you can come to me and say things to me. So it was uh, strange and awkward that she would have someone else reach out to me to talk to her. And then I didn't respond to that. And then I found out that she had uh, committed suicide. And then later on, I found out they were using her son to try to continue to carry on this myth of this, this thing. They wouldn't let her rest in peace. And I've warned many people that when you get a piece of this understanding, it opens up a whole new world. Because that world is open to you doesn't mean that your ego will take a rest. The ego will always leech on to you and, and, and try to express itself even more. And that's where the practice comes in that slaps you in the face. The other day, um, Caitlin was mocking me because I was on the phone with one of my professors. And one of the things that helps me is that I always reach out to people that I, 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 I value their knowledge and I become childlike. And Caitlin just giggles, she got the biggest, you tell them Caitlin, you got the biggest kick out of that when I was talking to Caitlin. She oh, thought that yeah, was the funniest thing in the world. Yeah. Because she, she said, oh, you act like a little bitty kid. Yeah, I'm a little kid. In that moment, I get to be a little kid. This woman is magical, okay? Anybody's met her, she knows her stuff. And just to be in her company, it makes you better. So yeah, I'm a little kid. I, I, when I talk to teachers, be they nice people or not so nice, I don't go to teachers because they're not, I have, Rob knows many of my teachers, some of them are despicable human beings, some of them are saintly, you know what I mean? But I didn't come to them for any of that. I came to them for the knowledge they had to offer. Some of them, again, are kind, some of them are not kind. Some of them are selfless, some of them are selfish. And because they're human beings, I've always understood that. I never went around people because I thought they were other than human beings. I thought that they had reached extraordinary levels of skill and knowledge, and I wanted to do that. And that is why with my people I work with, I'm very transparent. The ups and downs, the goods, the bad, it's in your face, you screw up, do that, but what do we come here for? And in discernment, you can do that. And you can, you can still admire, honor, respect people for their relationship with you. And that's part of discernment. Because it's really you looking at you. It's not you looking at them. There are other people that we go to people because we, we, hear, we heard they're famous. And I was always told, be careful of fame. Be careful of fame. Fame does not mean skill. It does not mean worthiness. It does not mean divinity. I know divine people that you may never meet. We met people like that in Sri Lanka. Right, Rob? Every day, Nazli. That was like a divine being. How could you go through that type of loss and suffering and still offer kindness to every person you met? And we saw it, right? We witnessed it firsthand, the stink of death in the air. And the average person was good to us, huh? Beyond With good. no exchange of money, no exchange of material. They didn't put on a show. They just say, hey, glad to spend the day with you. Huh? I, uh, before I went to Chinese medicine school, I did this pilgrimage in, in Japan. You walk around this island and follow the, the steps of a Buddhist saint and... I was just doing it to be alone, <laughs> and, okay. um, and uh, they—it's a custom on the island for people to help you on your journey, and it, it would be amazing. I would be down to like literally, you know, I'd have no water, and I'd have another twenty miles to walk, and it'd be eighty degrees, and I'd be like, I don't know how I'm going to do it, and. Somebody would be going the other way on the highway, doing 70 miles an hour. I'd hear their brakes screech. They'd back up, jump out of the car, run across the highway, and hand me a bottle of water. Beautiful. And then just get back in their car and disappear. Wow. And it would happen again and again, or I'd have no place to sleep. And the sun would be going down, and be like, all right, I guess I'm sleeping on the steps of this school or whatever. And somebody would drive up in a van and, and ask me in, in Japanese, you know, are you, are you a pilgrim? Are you a Henro? And I'd be like, yeah. And they say, 
come with me. And they'd give me their guest house you know, with a Western toilet and a shower and food in the fridge and say, I'll come pick you up at seven and drop you back off where you need to be. So there is this like amazing humanity out there. But so often, and especially in our country, unfortunately, that humanity is lost. In the school of Taoism that I study, the, the Chunjin Longmen school, um, it, it said that you cannot reach, you cannot attain enlightenment or immortality or, or any of those realization um, alone. That the, you have to bring everybody with you. you know? right. And if we all, believe me, I'm still practicing every day. I still get really angry on the 405 and I'm not happy or proud about that. But it gives me something to think about. It gives me something to strive for, you know. And when I am angry at somebody, it's like I have to pull myself back and say, like, I, you know, again, I don't go alone in this, you know. And and I think if everybody got back, to it, if people could get back to that, we don't need everybody. But if we got some more people back to that, I I interpret that as bringing all of you, all the parts of you, all the personalities of you, bring the whole of you with it and understand. That is, the, that is the way to do it. It's, it, it. It may not be, for me, it may not be the people externally, but there are many layers to each of us. There are many stories in a lifetime. There are many parts of our temperament. Be shame-free as you move forward in your process. So what, what Z and I experienced in Sri Lanka, um, which for me was a first, and it was really hard to come back from that first trip and the subsequent trips because... We would bring food or money or fishing supplies. We, we would try to help you know, these villages that had been kind of left aside by the NGOs, by the Sri Lankan government. And, and interestingly enough, they were often Muslim villages. Um, we, would, we would try to give them something. We would try to, and what we would try to do is, is not just be typical Western interlopers. Here's a bunch of money, I'll see you in five years or maybe never again. We try to um, help them create industry. We try to help them um, create sustainable lives. And the thing that was always amazing is we would do something like, let's bring, let's bring food supplies and rice and fish. And the, they would fight over the food, not in the way Americans would give me more. They would fight over, you have more kids, you take the rice. No. You, have, you are taking care of your parents and your in-laws and they're elderly and they need food. And then that person would say, no, my parents are probably gonna die soon and you have young kids, so you take the food. And it was like, and then you come back to, to Los Angeles and you're sitting in traffic and people are cutting you off to get six feet ahead of you and you're like- Wishing you dead. Yeah, wishing you dead because you wanna merge onto the 10. You know, and you're like, wow, you know, there's such a different world. And, and I experienced that in Shikoku because it's a, it's a gift for the people that live there and the people that see you doing a pilgrimage to help you, um, called Osetai. And you would be walking and you'd be out of money or out of food or out of water um, or have no place to sleep and someone would just stop out of nowhere and run up to you with bottles of water or a basket of tomatoes or, or sometimes just yen, sometimes just money and bow very deeply and say Osetai. You know, and run away and not expect, not want anything, expect anything, literally disappear. And I can't tell you how many times where I was like at the end where I was like, man, I'm going to have to like call my girlfriend and get the embassy to send a helicopter because I'm done. I've walked 39 miles today and I have no food or water. Um, and somebody would show up and say, hey, you're a pilgrim. Take my house. Come stay with me. I'll give you dinner. You can take a shower and get a good night's sleep and you'll be back on your road tomorrow. And it's like that kind of goodness, you know, we should all practice that, um, you know, and we should, that, that, that's the way you want the world to work. But again, that comes from, that comes from principles again. That comes from a yeah, foundation. That, that comes from principles. You know what, Rob, I'm trying to do nowadays is, is really be careful of saying to people what they should do. Yeah. Should, I'm really working on that. And I heard you say that not as a, a heavy-handed thing. I'm just thinking about what we get out of that. I'm so glad that that's my reality. And what I would share with people, if you want that kind of reality, then here's the, what we did. And to live in gratitude um, 
maybe it's not for everybody. Uh, I, I'm not going to say to anyone then, we're not going to say anyone what they should or shouldn't do. But I'm sitting here almost holding back tears with what that did to me. See, I've lost everybody I, I've loved in my life at least once. I've seen the most horrible things of this world. And I have no malice in my heart towards anyone because of those kinds of experiences. That it did, it served me, it helped me, it flushed me out, it redeemed, it redeemed my humanity. I'm surrounded by people that I love and that love me because I got to face me. And I, had, I got reflections back from the people that we got to see there and in other places. Even as recently as the other night, I have a, a sister that um, called me, and, and I, I mentioned it today in class, that my sister put a post up and she said, my baby cousin is 55 years old. I have a, one of my youngest cousins just turned 55. I remember the day she was born. Her mom is my, one of my favorite aunts, and, my mom, her, and she was uh, one of our younger aunts who was like the, the aunt that you could tell anything to and was kind of like a big kid. And I couldn't believe that this little bitty person had this little bitty baby. And um, I remember her first words was uh, Dandalina. So she couldn't say Thumbelina. So she said Dandalina. There was a toy called a Thumbelina doll. So I just ordered her one on eBay and I called her up. And we I missed most of her life traveling. And they uh, were in and out of the country and things like that. And I called her up and, 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 and I said, I first apologize for missing out on most of her life, her children's life, and her grandkids' life, just the way life works. But I have the fondest memories of her taking her first word, us doing things together. She tells a story about how I took her to the movies when I was in the service. I took leave and, and somebody attacked her, the people on the bus, and I threw the guy off the bus and broke his neck. She has fond memories of that. And I just told her, just thank you for reminding me of time. That this isn't real, this illusion of time. 55 years. And my memory of her is as a newborn baby. And that will never leave my heart. And it made me young, reflecting upon those. It gave me energy and spirit. And I bought her this toy today. And I'm going to mail it out to her when it comes. Because I always told her I was going to get her a Dandalina doll, which is a Thumbelina doll. And she and I talked and smiled and laughed at the beginning of my day. And it lifted my world. It lifted me up. But in order for me to gain from that or to have the fruit of that, I've had to work on myself. I don't want more. I, I'm not looking for more. I'm not looking to suppress someone to win. I don't need to win. I won. I won already. And these experiences that Rob and I share with you are through discernment, through the ability to see through the fog, through the veil, through the packaging, to really see clearly this world. And then when you see that, this grand illusion that we're a part of, you start to understand what is really precious are these moments. And when you get that, then gratitude overwhelms you. You know what I mean, Rob? Yeah. You follow us, Vin? I think we've hit on a lot of the themes that you and I have talked about, Z. Uh, we've talked about bitter medicine. We've talked about being able uh, to take a certain amount of discomfort physically and mentally, about truth being a very deep lake with a lot of layers to it, and instead of just adopting different narratives and theories that are very comfortable, dig. And like they say in the X-Files, the truth is out there. We just have to be willing to put in the work to find it. So if I think about what you've been saying, what Rob has been saying, it's very interesting to me. Uh, I wasn't sure where this topic was going when we started, the link between a life practice and discernment. But as I think about it, it's becoming a lot more clear to me. And if you look at a life practice, it requires being self-possessed, carving out your own path, being focused on benefit and depth and substance and avoiding appearances 
things that just appeal to us super, superficially. So really getting to the essence of the practice and all of that, Rob, I see what you're saying now because you can directly translate that into our understanding of the world and our ability to discern. So if we're comfortable walking our own path, not being bound by preconceptions, if we're willing to do the work and be a little bit uncomfortable, and even if we challenge our own conceptions, our own view of ourselves, we're okay doing that. We're willing to dig and find some information and be persistent to get to that truth. Those same characteristics that give us success on the side of the life practice are going to give us the ability to see the world a lot more clearly. And then if you couple that with the fact that when we go deeper within, we gain a better understanding of our own limitations, our own biases, that allows us to correct. So we know where we're susceptible, where we're likely to buy some BS, uh, where we're like, the mind is likely to spin out of control, and we can adjust for that and get ourselves back on track. Uh, so I think the parallels are there. I think the idea that you want to follow people who practice what they preach is pretty critical uh, because a lot of times things just don't add up, Z, and we've talked about this. You have to go back to that visceral loop and just say, does this make any sense? So if you've got someone who's spending all their time trying to sell you an image or you've got someone who's in terrible shape talking about how they're going to get you back to health or in my industry, you've got people who talk about this incredible understanding of the financial markets and how they're going to make you all this money but all they care about is the quality of the suit they wear, uh, how well they're speaking to the crowd, and they're not actually investing. They're just advising other people on how to do it. You can look at that and say, you know what? That probably doesn't add up. Uh, that's not going to provide me something in return. That's a lot of show. Uh, there's not much depth beneath it. And so if we get beyond those superficial appearances and dig relentlessly for the things that have value, then we can get to that point of discernment and we can get something that's much better in reward. I think the challenge, and maybe Zia, Rob, jump in. I'm curious about your perspective. The challenge is that the superficial, those are the things that attract us, and they hijack our mind. And we get in this endless loop, as you talked about, Rob, where you go down the rabbit hole of YouTube or Facebook, and you're just clicking on different things, and it feels cool to be part of a conspiracy theory. It feels like you have some inside information. It's not that taxing. It doesn't require that much effort. Uh, so it satisfies our need uh, just to not work that hard or think that hard. Uh, so if we recognize those biases in ourselves and the fact that we're susceptible at some level to following the glitz, the glamour, or the easy solution, we've got the life practices and antidote to that. Are there other steps that you would recommend? I mean, what are some of the characteristics, Rob, that you've seen of people who are really able to dive deep, go ferret out the information, and figure out what's true. You know, the, the, primary, the primary feature is not being afraid to confront your own confirmation bias. You know, one of the, you know, something very timely as I'm getting vaccinated tomorrow for COVID, um, you know, there's a, obviously a huge anti-vax movement in, in America, and it's purely an American invention. Um, and a lot of people are saying, I'm not getting the COVID vaccine. I would never get a vaccine. And right there, you've already confirmed the bias because this vaccine is actually so different from anything we've ever done that without really investigating what it's about, you've actually, you know, potentially maybe not, or you're not willing to save your own life. Um, you know, the vaccine itself is a completely different technology and it's surrounded by four salts, a sugar and three kinds of lipids. Like, that's it. And the whole thing is out of your body in two weeks. It's, it's the most ingenious invention. Um, and you know what, if, if something goes wrong, I'm willing to take back those words in, in a year or two or five years. But it, from the information we have right now, it's a beautiful invention. And then people will say, well, it hasn't been tested. Actually, we've been testing mRNA vaccines for over a decade, right? They just haven't been used in this uh, format and for this, for a coronavirus. So, you know, by, by simply waking up in the morning and saying, I'm not getting vaccinated because I would never get a vaccine, you, you've, you've only strengthened, right, your own bias. 
um, and it may potentially hurt you in the future. So the first thing that when this vaccine was, you know, when the the study started to come out and the, the talk of Moderna and Pfizer, and um, I'm like digging in. I'm like, all right, so let me revisit mRNA. Let me revisit DNA. Let me revisit vaccination. How does it work? Let me revisit the history because I see all my Chinese medicine friends saying, I'm a Chinese medicine practitioner. I would never get vaccinated. Well, when you dig into it, the Chinese have been doing inoculation and variolation since the 1500s, right? right? They were doing scratches. They were taking smallpox, drying them and blowing them. The Chinese medicine doctor would blow it into the nose of the, uh, the patient to, um, to inoculate them right. from the disease of smallpox. So in essence, Chinese medicine has a five to 600 year history of some form of vaccination. So again, where is that bias coming from? And have you done the deep dive? Right. And are you willing to change your mind? Right. If you when you find that information, can you wake up in the morning like a great teacher and say, hey, I was wrong. That thing I showed you last week, I totally messed that up. That thing that I was reading, uh, it just didn't pan out. Right. Like, are you willing to confront those issues? Because most people aren't. And then just to jump in on that, um, I like what Rob says. I'm not a vaxxer or anti-vaxxer. I just take information and see where it takes me. I also understand the, the, the depth of people. So for people of color, there's always Tuskegee. Absolutely. So we have the Tuskegee thing where we were used as rats and labs. And so I think the message and all that, again, is to study. But again, I'm not into victim victimhood. So now that you know that happens, what it, do your due diligence, study research with your children. Do the same thing, study research, be a good scientist, do everything you can to disprove your own theory. For bizarro family members that are driving to Washington to take over the White House, you wanna ask, what, what took you to this place? What happened so bad in your life? What was taken from you that you feel you want to risk your freedom to uh, attack the White House or whatever the hell they're doing? Um, and if you study it enough, you'll realize that your life is pretty damn good. Stop listening to these news media things that are making you crazy. And if you have crazy people, you love them, but you have to love them at a distance. See, remember, no one was killed opposing civil rights. People were killed fighting for human rights, but no one was ever killed opposing civil rights. Do you know that? Nobody was ever killed opposing civil rights. You could burn up kids in cars, you could do all that. They would die fighting for the rights for people to do things, but the people who were against human rights never suffered any losses. Isn't that interesting? I would say for you who have trouble with your relatives uh, and, and they're, they're kind of wacky, slowly read the Milton Moyers book called They Thought They Were Free, right? And it shows you how people can just devolve into madness by not studying. If it comes to health and wellness, pre-existing health conditions, 70% of Americans are medically compromised. We talk about this all the time. Get well, be well yourself, be a living example of that. And, and do a little research. The real conspiracy here, like, like I was told by a great teacher once in China, he said the secret is, what? There is no secret. The real conspiracy is, there is no conspiracy. There's actually no conspiracy. There may be trends and things going around, but it's like years ago we were told that every night groups of white people would meet and plan the destruction of black people. I was, a lot of people believe that. Then I snuck into one of the meetings and it was actually just a, what is it, what's, it, what's the, the Girl Scout equivalent to Boy Scout, what's it called, the brownies? It's a brownie meeting. <laughs> they were talking about selling cookies. I thought they were playing the demise of all black people. Yeah. It was actually black people planning the demise of black people. So there is no conspiracy. The conspiracy is, is you and ignorance, you and the bleakness of thought, you and not wanting to do your work, you wanting to blame somebody else for things you chose to do to yourself. That's the conspiracy. So there are people that take advantage of your ignorance 
That's what politicians on either side, most of them are sociopaths and psychopaths. If you put your faith in a politician, you will be disappointed. You will be disappointed. Their role is as a public servant. Servant, that's the key word, public servant. So if the waiter has you busting dishes and cooking your food, you got problems. It's not the waiter's problem, he was smart. It's your problem. The waiter's supposed to serve you. The politicians, if they're not serving you and they have you acting out things, then you have a real problem. So in everything that you do, when you go to the doctor, ask questions. You're your own best advocate. Ask questions. Don't leave the doctor's office not feeling well and saying, oh, it was a conspiracy with the pharmaceutical companies. No, they're there to make money. They're, they're, they're doing their bottom line. It's whether you buy the product or not. That's on you. Ooh, that sounds so harsh. See, that sounds so harsh. Personal responsibility sounds so horrible. So horrible. You mean I have to study? They should study for me. No, it's your life. Take care of it. Yeah, I got you, Z. Personal accountability. Take charge of yourself. Don't expect anyone else to bail you out. And where this whole topic of discernment comes in, it's critical to me because if we want to move forward, we have to know where we are. We have to be able to see the world clearly. And it's taken on this urgency uh, because there's so much panic and misinformation and forces, even if it's not an outright conspiracy, there are people who want us to act certain ways to benefit them. And if you combine that with all of the technology, the social media, it becomes easy to manipulate people. So we want to step out of that. For our audience, we want to opt out of the manipulation. We want to opt out of the conspiracy theories. We want to dive deep, learn to see the truth or discover our own truth. And to do that, we need perseverance. We need fluidity. Uh, Rob, as you mentioned, we have to be able to stand up and say, hey, I was wrong. So if a million people die from the COVID vaccine, we're going to have Rob back on and he's going to give everyone a public apology. But it's cool because he's willing to do that. He's willing to respond to the evidence. So have that fluidity, have that discipline, that determination to figure out what's true, what's real at all costs. And that's how we can find out what's really happening in our world. And Z, as you're saying, that's how we can take care of ourselves. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.